Welcome to Real Life at the Ridge, the preaching ministry of Chestnut Ridge Church. I'm going to invite you back to John 17. No worries because we're talking about the gospel. Talking about the gospel. Why are we here? John 17. Man, I'm so thankful for salvation. I'm just going to be honest with you. If there was no changed life, I'd have a hard time believing that this book's true. I, I can't, can't get over getting over it. I can't, I can't get over getting over seeing. I, 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 every time my heart begins to doubt and wonder, the Spirit of the living God calls me back to my salvation and goes, is it real or is it not? So let me just say this. If you've got a salvation that did not change you and does not keep you in the process of being changed into the image of Jesus Christ, you need to get you a different salvation. In John chapter 17, I'm going to read verses 12 through 17. We've been looking in the first 20 verses. I want to kind of zero in for just a moment. Verses 12 through 17. I'd ask you if you would stand with me as we honor the reading of God's Word. John 17, verse 12 says, Jesus says why He's praying, While I was with them in the world, I kept them in your name. Those whom you gave me I have kept, and none of them is lost except the son of perdition, that the Scriptures might be fulfilled. But now I come to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not pray that you would, should take them out of the world, but that you should keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. And verse 17 says, Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. Father, I believe you have been lifted up today, already in this place. We're not perfect, but our goal is to magnify the name of Jesus Christ for your glory. We realize that the Spirit 
of the living God that dwells within the believer, that's the primary responsibility of the Spirit, is to testify of the Son. And it is a Spirit that cries out within us. And today, Father, if there is anyone that does not know you, whether they be watching online or whether they be here in person, would you so graciously open their eyes today? For those that are saved, God, would you please teach us, prepare us for the days ahead. And God, would you do it all for your glory in Christ's name. Amen. You can be seated. We've decided to take some time, led by God, I believe, to talk about the gospel. I really, in my heart of hearts, believe God is doing something amazing. And this is one of the times in my life as a pastor that I've rested more in what God's doing through the messages that He was leading me to share than any other time in my pastorate. I believe that God is preparing us for a, a time ahead. That we would, as a body of believers, that we will go and share the gospel like we never have before. I don't know what that looks like. I know what we're sharing, but I don't know what it looks like exactly how we're going to be sharing it. There was a day and time when you went around house to house. That day and time's changed now. That doesn't mean you can't go to somebody's house and share the gospel if the Lord leads you to. So I don't know exactly what the, how that will actually work itself out, but I know that if we're obedient, God will lead us and it will be for His glory. First thing we're, we've learned is that in order for us to do anything for the glory of God, we must be filled to the brim. We must be filled with Him. Because if not, guess what? We give everybody us. And that don't, that's not going to do anybody any good for me to give somebody me. They need eternal truth. And we know that resides in the person and work of Jesus Christ through the gospel. We're going to be talking about how God has so equipped us to go out and do this ministry. And we're going to be talking about our responsibility to be registered in this fight, to fight the good fight. And then we'll be commissioning our family to go out into the world. It's a hard thing to say from a pastor's standpoint because of the mindset that we have so often in ministry. But what would it be like if I was to walk in one day and there'd be nobody here? But that, they, that you would actually be out in the world sharing the gospel. You know, far too often and for far too long, we've huddled together and every time things seem to quote unquote wax worse and worse, we, we just get tighter in that group. We've got to get all we can, can all we get, and sit on the can. That's kind of the mentality that we have, not just with finances, but with everything else. We just want to protect what's, what we have. But you see, in the gospel, we don't have to protect the gospel. This is our business. This is what we're here for is the gospel. And we don't have to protect the gospel. 
In the conversation that I just read that God Christ is having with the Father, nowhere in there does he say, Lord, I, I just hope they're strong enough to keep the gospel safe. No, he says, and if we start back, and we won't, but if we started back at verse 1 of chapter 17, Father, all that you've given me I've kept, and I've kept them, and I've kept them, and he just go down through there. And now I'm leaving here soon. Father, would you keep them, and would you keep them, not only keep them, but keep them safe from the evil one, and Lord, that you would keep them set apart. And then he tells us how he's going to do it through his word. We're here on this earth because of the gospel. If you're lost, the gospel's here to save you. If you're saved, it's the gospel that saved you. Now it is the gospel that is also sanctifying you. Because of the gospel, we definitely are saved, but did you know that because of the gospel we're despised? I mean, he says there... That, Father, I have given them your word, and the world hates them. They're not of the world, just as I am not of the world. And that doesn't mean, and I'm trying to reiterate a few things just so you don't leave and say, well, the preacher said everybody hates me because Jesus loves me. That's not what the preacher's saying. The world hates you. That does not mean all your neighbors hate you. That does not mean that... Everybody in your church hates you. It does not mean that everybody in this country or this world hates you. But the world system hates you. The world, the flesh, and the devil. Your own flesh is not happy with you. The Spirit of God that lives in you. The you that God is changing. Let me make this statement. Because of the gospel, we're set apart. Because of the gospel, we are set apart. That's what being sanctified means, is that we are set apart. That, that when God saves you, He is setting you apart for a specific purpose. That purpose is not to make you a member of Club Med. So many people think that Christianity and church is about being a part of some social organization so that we get all the benefits that we pay for in our dues. That is not what Christianity is about. That's not what church is about. And today, I'm, I got, I'm going to end up asking you a couple of hard questions, and, but I want to prepare you for it. But, and I believe that for those who are in Christ Jesus, this is going to be an encouragement to you. Listen to the words again, John 17, 13 through 17. But now I come to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Did you hear what he said? I have given them your word, and the world has despised them. In other words, the, the, the natural course of man's, a man's heart, and the enemy of everything that's good and precious, the devil and the demons of hell, it seems that we're separated from them is what the Bible's teaching us. Then he says, I do not pray that you would, uh, should take them out of the world, but that you should keep them from the evil one. You still see this line of separation there. Then he just comes out and says, they are not of the world just as I am not of the world. And he says, sanctify them or set them apart by your truth, your word is truth. 
And I don't want you to miss that the thing that sets us apart from the rest of the world is the truth. His word is truth. It's very emphatic there. You don't have to be some theologian to figure out what he's saying. He's saying that this right here is what is going to separate the believer from the non-believer. This is what's going to get you in trouble. If you go out into this world and you believe this, this is going to get you in trouble. About to jump ahead of myself. Let me stop my mind. Stay with my notes. 2 Corinthians 6, 17 says, Therefore, come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord. Do not touch what is unclean, and I will receive you. Did you know that God setting us apart is why we are despised by the world? Now, see, I know the salvation that we receive from the Lord, it, it initiates this. This is the thing we were talking about last week, the fact that God takes our unrighteousness we talked about the, the, the example that Donald Gray Barnhouse gives of having two notebooks. We take one notebook and, it, and we put a mark in that notebook for every sin that we can possibly think of. But we need to take it to the, to, to the, well, take it the rest of the way. Let's put it that way. Not only is it every mark that we can think of, but see, he didn't just die for the sins that we have committed up to this day. He died for our entire, entire life of sinning. Did you know that even as a believer, you will still commit some sins? It's not that we want to, but that will happen. And all of those sins in, can be marked in that book because he died for us even that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us before we were ever born on this earth. He knew us, our entire record. We take that book and God places that book with all the sins on Christ on the cross. Then we take the other book and we have Christ mark a mark for every sin that he's ever committed or ever would commit. We know that book's going to be clean. And when we come to salvation, faith in Christ, that salvation time, he takes that book and he places it on our account. So even though I'm walking around in this, on this earth in this body of flesh that can commit a sin, when God looks at me, he sees the righteousness of Jesus Christ. It is called imparted righteousness. It is imputed to us on our account. And then one day, God is going to clothe us in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Yeah. We shall see him as he is, and one of the most beautiful parts in the Bible is, and we shall be like him. I don't know about you, but I'm, I'm looking forward to that day, to be like him. But until that time, we are here on this earth, living in this body of flesh, redeemed. Our account is settled. Our account is settled, and I want to say that one more time for anybody that says, our account is settled. It is finished, as Jesus said on the cross. It's done. And so when that righteousness of Jesus Christ is, is, is imparted to us, then God's war against us is over. It's done. And I want you to hear that this morning. That war is over with. And it is because that war is over with and God has and dwelt us with the Spirit of God. He has taken our heart of stone out, as Ezekiel 36 says, and He has put it in a heart of flesh. 
Now God is set, He has set us apart and He is sanctifying us. He is causing us to become more and more like Christ through His Word. That is why the world hates you. It's not because of you. That would be an arrogant statement. But it is the Christ that's in you. And we'll we'll look at that just a little more in just a moment. But I just want you to understand that God setting us apart is why we are despised by the world. And understand that it is His work. It's His work. I remember a time when my dad sent me to get something out of a cooler, a big walk-in cooler. And I went in, and this cooler, the door on it was pretty heavy. And sometimes even like the refrigerator will do, you know how when the refrigerator door shuts, it's like you can't open it right afterwards. Or you can, but you probably ought to just wait a minute, right? And it was really hard to get out of that cooler. And I was just a young kid. And I would leave the door barely open. Somebody that was worried about the power bill, because this was a shared venture in this cooler, Somebody that's worried about the power bill had constantly been getting on us about leaving the cooler door cracked open. Well, I was sent on a mission from my father to go in there, and I left that door cracked open a little bit. Well, that particular person thought it would be funny to hold me in there. Then all of a sudden, the door opened up. Dad moved him away from that door. What I'm trying to tell you is that when the Father sends you on a mission that He called you into, as a matter of fact, there was a time when we cared about our soldiers. When they were drafted into the military, our motto was to not leave any of them behind. I wish it was that way today. I'm telling you right now that I serve a God that He calls us to be separated. And if He calls you to be separated, He's going to take care of everything that you have ahead of you if you simply trust Him. 2 Thessalonians 2.13 says, But we are bound to give thanks to God always for you, brethren, beloved by the Lord, because God from the beginning chose you for salvation through sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth. Did you know that in His plan to sanctify you, to set you apart, He gives you provisions? I could go a lot of places today and share a lot of scriptures. i got a few at the end that I want to share. But I want you to hear this out of the text that we have. 13 and 17 again, out of John 17. In His plan, He gives us provisions. Look at verse 13. But now I come to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. Now, now I want you to hear what He said there. This is Christ, and He is praying, and He says, These things I have spoken in this world. Now, why would He do that? I mean, He could pray to the Father in silence, don't you think? Did you know that you and I have this word because it was pinned down, I believe inspired by God. 
He spoke these things, his prayer, out in the open. Listen to what he says again. But now I come to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. In other words, I could say it like this. God gave us his word so that we might have his joy fulfilled in, our, in, in us. Look at verse 17. Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. Now I know he gives us the Holy Spirit. He left out. He said, I'm not going to leave you as orphans, but I'll send you the comforter, the parakletos, the, the, uh, the, the Holy Spirit of God, the comforter. He will come and he will fill you, live in you, dwell in you, and testify of Christ. His word is what I want you to focus on this morning. The primary resource that He has given us that we might be sanctified and set apart is His Word. And I've said this before, and I'll stick with this statement. That if all the Jesus that you get is what you get from me on Sunday, you're going to be destitute through the week. You and I must, the Bible says, work out our own salvation in fear and in trembling. We need to be students of the Word of God. Hide His Word in our heart that we would not sin against Him. That we, it would be a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. Now let me give you a good illustration of that that could possibly happen and has happened to people throughout this world over the course of time. What happens if the, the government or some force breaks up the church and you find yourselves huddled in little groups, maybe one, maybe two, maybe four, maybe ten, throughout the countryside. You're going to be responsible to continue to live your Christian life. You need to be a student of God's Word. You need to be able to have God sanctify you through His Word. His Word is truth. Salvation not only frees me from God's wrath, but also frees us from our dependency to fulfill lustful desires. This is an important one. This is the main one I wanted to get to today. His salvation not only frees us from the wrath to come, God's wrath, and it does, we talked about that, when God saves you, that righteousness of Jesus Christ is accredited to your account, and that, that debt is settled. It's paid in full. You can't mess that up because you couldn't pay it yourself to begin with. And so it's settled. And so the wrath of God is no longer upon us to condemn us and set us away from Him for all of eternity, which is what He's going to do with the unrighteous, those that don't have the righteousness applied to their lives. But now in this sanctification process, God is freeing us. He is setting us free from the need for us to fulfill the desires of our flesh. That's why the world hates us, folks. 
The world hates us because we are not for sale. That's why... (laughs) That's why when you watch, and if you don't, you probably ought to get a whiff of it because there are some people out there that are not for sale in our government. And the enemy hates them. Because they will not bow, they will not bend... You, they can't be bought at any price. And they're going to stand for what's right. There was a man that Christy and I went to church with when we were dating. And right after we got married, can't remember his name. But he stood on a corner of a busy intersections in Lexington and West Columbia. South Carolina. He had a little car and had stickers all over that car. Sharing the gospel and had uh, anti-abortion signs and all kind of stuff, and he would just stand there. He didn't have a whole lot. But every day of his life, he stood on the street corner with the gospel of Jesus Christ. He was probably not the most popular person around. I don't even think he was that popular at church, to be honest with you. But now on this side of things, I kind of understand why he might not have been that popular at church. Because they didn't nobody else want to sacrifice as much as he was sacrificing. And I'm not saying you got to do what he did. I'm just saying obedience is better than sacrifice. His provisions give us perspective. I want to share this and then then kind of bring things around. Let me read for you Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 9. He says, Therefore, if there is any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and mercy, fulfill my joy by being like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, But in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interest of others. Then he says, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men." And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Therefore, God also has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name. Did you know that God wants us to have our minds transformed? We're saved, and now he wants the mind of Christ to be developed in us. And as the mind of Christ is developed in us, guess what? God is changing our want-tos. God is changing our appetite, our desires. God starts to cause us to, to, to love what He loves and hate what He hates. And that's the question I have for you today. First off, this is not in your notes, but it's a good question. What is living? You know, what, what is living? That's something God put on. I wrote it down sitting over there while we was worshiping. I was like, you know, that's a great question. What actually is living? 
I mean, we propagate an Americanized gospel as to what living is. I think every country, every civilization has an idea of what making it looks like. But I want to ask you as children of God, what's living? Is that not the thing that we strive for? I just want to make it. You know, a pastor by the name of Brian Ezel, I met him in, oh, where it was in Tennessee, getting ready to go to a, 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 like a pastor's conference thing. We were staying at the same motel room we'd never met before. He was sitting at a table eating breakfast in the motel, and I was sitting at one, and there was a couple in between us, and they was having roast preacher. This was on Monday. So we made eye contact across the table. Never met before. He said, I sure do love my preacher. I said, you know what, brother? I love mine too. And the next thing you know, we done run them out of there. <laughs> Brian Askell, man, at the Beacon, not the Beacon, um, the Bantam Shelf down in South Carolina. He asked a man, he said, witnessing to him, said, where are you at in life? What do you mean? Where are you at in life? I'm just about to retire. He said, what then? He said, what do you mean? He said, what then? Well, I really ain't thought about it a whole lot. He said, but I think I'm going to try to do some things that I want to do. He said, what then? He said, what are you talking about? He said, what then? He said, what if you do the things that you was wanting to do and you're still alive? What then? I really ain't thought about it. He said, and what about what then after that? The guy said, I really ain't thought about it. Brian said, you might ought to. If I was to ask you that question right now about your own life, wherever you're at right now, if I was to ask you about tomorrow, what then? John 16, 27 says, For the Father Himself loves you because you have loved me and have believed that I came forth from God, talking about love, Jesus Christ. Do you love what God loves? Now, we don't have time today to go through everything that God loves, and nor do we have to go through time to go through everything God hates. But do you love what God loves? Ezekiel 33, 11 says, As I live, says the Lord, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked turn from his ways and live. Turn, turn from your evil ways. Why should you die, O house of Israel? Romans 5, 8 says, But God demonstrated his own love toward us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. We know that... God loves righteousness. That's why He wants sinners to repent, is because He loves righteousness. But do you, do you hate what God hates? You say, well, it's not right for us to hate, preacher. <clears throat> Isaiah 61, 8 says, For I, the Lord, love justice. I hate robbery for burnt offerings. I will direct their work in truth. I will make with them an everlasting covenant. Psalm 97, 10 says, You... You who love the Lord hate evil. He 
preserves the souls of his saints. He delivers them out of the hands of the wicked. Now, if we take the things we've been learning, and I'll read a verse or two more, but apply that into our, our lives. Love the Lord, love what's right, and hate evil. And he says, we know that we're going to be disliked because of it. And the reason we're going to be disliked, why? Is because the Bible tells us, actually in John chapter 3, that, the, that wicked men love darkness. They run to it. Why? Because the light exposes a darkness. And I'm not sitting here pointing fingers that I keep pointing back in the past at myself because it tells me, and I remind you, Ephesians chapter 2 tells us that we once were children of wrath, just as the others, sons of disobedience. So we don't have anything to boast in. If we're saved, it's God that saved us. That's the gospel. It's God that saves us, God that sanctifies us, sets us apart for righteousness. It's God that does that work. And because it's God that does that work, listen, he said, he preserves the souls of his saints. So no matter what happens to you out there, if you're loving what God loves, despising what God despises, he's going to take care of you. He delivers them out of the hand of the wicked. Psalm 11, 5 says, The Lord tests the righteous, but the wicked and the one who loves violence, his soul hates. A lot of people say that God loves the sinner but hates the sin. God doesn't send sin to hell. He sends sinners to hell. Am I right? Proverbs 8, 13, And the fear of the Lord is to hate evil. Pride and arrogance and the evil way and... The perverse mouth, I hate, he says. Now, I want to show you something real quick. I, I did this this week already, but I want, to sh- I want you to see it again. I did it on Wednesday night, but not everybody saw it Wednesday night. I want you to follow along with me quickly, and I want to show you where we're at in the world today by showing you where the world was when Jesus was alive on this earth. Go to verse uh, chapter uh, 18. I'll work through this real quick, read, read several verses of Scripture right fast, but I want you to catch this point. I'm going to stop, I'll make a, show, you, show you something, and then, then we'll close. Verse 33 of chapter 18. John chapter 18, verse 33. We've just flipped a couple of pages. Jesus is being tried. He's being tried for claiming to be the Son of God, to be equal with God. Then Pilate entered the praetorium again, called Jesus and said to him, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered him, Are you speaking for yourself about this, or did others tell you this concerning me? Pilate answered, Am I a Jew? Your own nation and the chief priests have delivered you to me. What have you done? Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would fight so that I should not be delivered to the Jews. But now my kingdom is not from here. And Pilate therefore said to him, Are you a king then? And Jesus answered, You say rightly that I am a king for this cause. I was born and for this cause I have come into the world that I should bear witness to the truth. Don't ever forget that. That's what it's all about, folks. I'm trying to teach us this. And I don't want to take up time for no reasons, but you don't miss this. 
Everything that's going on in this world is about truth. It is not about politics. It is not about social injustice, nor political injustice. It is about the injustice that was, was and is being brought against God. Sinful men, our injustice toward God. That's what it's all about and His truth. And so here we go. Pilate said, what is truth? Can you imagine what he's like? Put you, you've got to put him in context. He's in politics, folks. He's neck deep in politics. There's a knife blade stuck to his back from every direction can possibly be because everybody around him wants him dead so that they can take his position. That's what politics are about. That's what they're like. That's what the world system's about. That's why we can't be figured out as Christians because we have no agenda. We just love people because we've been loved. And we expect nothing in return. And I, I'm preaching, I think, something that's needing to be heard right there. We have no agenda. We don't want people to come into the faith so that we can milk something out of them. We want people to come into the faith so that they might be free just as we are free. That's why we want folks to be saved. And Pilate, here he is, he would, I believe, would love to be out of this mess. What is truth? And when he had said this, he went out again to the Jews and said to them, I find no fault in him at all. 39, but you have a custom that I should release someone to you at the Passover. Do you therefore want me to release to you the king of the Jews? And they all cried out saying, not this man, but Barabbas. Now Barabbas was a robber, a thief. So then Pilate took Jesus and scourged him, and the soldiers twisted the crown of thorns and put it on his head. And they put on him a purple robe, and they said, Hail, King of the Jews. And they struck him with their hands. Pilate then went out again and, uh, and said to them, Behold, I am bringing him out to you that you may know that I find no fault in him. Then Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the ro purple robe, and Pilate said to them, Behold the man. Therefore, when the chief priests and the officers saw him, they cried out, saying, Crucify him, crucify him. And Pilate said to them, You take him and crucify him, for I find no fault in him. Multiple times, over and over, Pilate says, He's done nothing wrong. The Jews answered him, We have a law, and according to our law, he ought to, be, ought to die, because he makes himself the Son of God. Now, folks, please hear me quickly. These religious people, they are so in bed with the government at this point. But they're claiming to do this for God's namesake. You hear me? I'm, I'm telling you, you're going to see this so much in the days to come, and you're seeing it today, but it ain't got good yet. These religious people said, He claims to be God. That's what they say. Therefore, when Pilate heard this saying, he was the more afraid. He's got more sense than the religious people. And went again into the praetorium and said to Jesus, where are you from? But Jesus gave him no answer. And Pilate said to him, are you not speaking to me? Do you not know that I have power to crucify you and power to release you? Jesus said, you ain't got no power over me, dude. <laughs> That's why the world hates us. 
You could have no power at all against me unless I, it had been given to you from above. Therefore, the one who delivers me to you has the greater sin. Talking about the Jews. From then on, Pilate sought to release him, but the Jews cried out saying, If you let this man go, you are not Caesar's friends. Political move. They pinned Pilate down. Whoever makes himself a king speaks against Caesar. Then Pilate therefore heard the saying, he brought Jesus out, sat down in the judgment seat in the place that is called the pavement, but in Hebrew, Gabbatha. Now it was the preparation day of the Passover and about the sixth hour, and he said to the Jews, Behold your king. And I want you to listen to verse 15. And they cried out, Away with him, away with him, crucify him. Pilate said to them, Shall I crucify your king? And the chief priest answered and said, we have no king but Caesar. The religious folks will crucify the truth so that they can keep their political agenda when they're so in bed with fulfilling the desires of their flesh and their agendas. And I'm telling you right now, I ain't a prophet or a prophet's son, but I'll do till a prophet comes. And right this minute, there are religious people selling themselves out so that they can appease people. Hand me my phone, baby, just for a second. I'm sorry. Y'all, y'all, y'all got to, I'm just so eat up with it this morning. God's just see if I can find it. Galatians 1.10 reading this early this morning. I am now trying to win. I am not now. I am now trying to win the approval. I'm sorry. Excuse me. My dyslexia. Am I now trying to win the approval of human beings or of God? Or am I trying to please people? If I were still trying to please people, I would not be a servant of Christ. That's just Bible. Here's how I want to end today. We don't need to play anything, nothing like that. Here's what I want to do. If you would, just stand with me for just a moment. For time's sake, I simply want you to do this. Take the Word of God this week. Take the Word of God this week. Do not lay it on a shelf. You've got notes that you can pick up and take with you, and there's Scripture references there. I'd encourage you, read them. Just read those verses. It won't take you a few minutes to read through the verses that's, that's on that piece of paper. Think about the things that you've, been, you've heard today. Let them find themselves a place in you. If it finds no place in you, but God convicts you that you're lost, then you need to repent and believe. That's the gospel. Jesus preached it. John preached it. For the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And if you find yourself repenting and believing in Christ and His finished work, please contact me or one of our leaders so that we might help lead you in a direction that you might be sanctified, set apart for the glory of God. Thank you for listening today. Pastor Greg wants to share with you how the gospel changed his life and how it can change yours too. You know, Tim, it was the gospel that saved me. I'll never forget when Ray Elder came into my life 
God put him there and he shared the truth of the gospel with me that I was a sinner, that Christ died for my sins, and that if I would accept him as the Lord of my life and follow him, that he would change my life. And that's exactly what he's done. I wonder if that's something that you would like to do today, that you would today before God just admit, you know, God, I'm a sinner, I'm lost, and I need you. And God, I believe that Christ died on the cross for me, and I want to accept his payment today for, for my sins, and I want to live for him from this point forward. If you pray that prayer today, we want to welcome you into the family of God. We also want to encourage you to contact us. You'll find a link below where you can reach us. And so we look forward to hearing from you. so much that he gave his son for us. Amen. God bless you guys.